At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As Prairie, I had none of these things. My life was one hardship after another, and then I met you. Nina saw the whole world. But I saw underneath it. I was pressed down like coal. I suffered. That's what an angel is. Dust pressed into a diamond by the weight of this world. You crushed me. Before I had the chance to become anything, you crushed me. But you didn't destroy me. I died and came back to life with something you will never have. You have violence and terror and loneliness. We have faith. From the OA, a very Gnostic and Freemason series cancelled after just two seasons by the iconic Netflix. In this scene, Prairie slash Nina, the interdimensional traveler and Sophianic protagonist, confronts the demiurge figure with the wrath of a vexed goddess, summoning lightning and astral portals while going on a diatribe like some thunder-perfect mind from the Nag Hammadi library. I don't want to interrupt. I'll just get started on the apocalypse. In the show, Prairie slash Nina is the OA, the original angel as some have said while others said it might mean the original Archon. But hey, the exploration of Sophia is always an exploration of the many dimensions within the cosmos and within yourself. Who am I? That's the real question, isn't it? Who, who am I? Who are you? What other questions are there? What other questions are there, really? You, you want to understand the universe, embrace the universe. The, the door to the universe is you. This exploration is always most intense here at the Virtual Alexandria. And we will be discussing the Gnostic Divine Feminine and her being crushed by orthodoxy until she has become a diamond in this age of Hermes. As well as many of her avatars including Mary Magdalene and some of the smugglers of her Gnosis including the Cathars. Psychotic drowns where the mystic swims. What can I say? Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it just is. It just is. And we will always run with those searching for the truth and avoid those who have found it. 
The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was... Aeon by Gnostic Radio. An initiation by conversation into the dark corners of myth, magic, and meaning. A crash course in cult culture and conspiracy. A virtuous virus invoking and informing history, holiness, and heresy. Each week I, your host Miguel Connor, commandeers your connection to bring you the most accepted and rejected scholars and provocateurs to your attention. Fun, compelling, and deeply weird, this is the blow-your-mind cocktail party conversation you always wanted to listen in on. And you deserve to be here because, as the caterpillar told Alice, you are a terribly real thing in a terribly fake world. And that, I believe, is why you are in so much pain. Like the OA, you freaks and outcasts, you of the broken places, have been crushed by the weight of the world into diamonds. Shining crazy diamonds. That means you can ignite this bleak universe with so much wonder. As Nietzsche said, The higher we soar, the smaller we appear to those who cannot fly. Junkies and masochists and hookers and those who have squandered everything are the ring of brightest angels around heaven. For this show's themes, we have the pleasure of being joined by Amanda Radcliffe. Amanda is a poet, mystic, and artist, as well as Bishop of the Église Gnostique, France. And she lives deep in Cathar country, ensuring the ancient mysteries of the Gnostics and their brethren in the esoterica are defended cultivated and expressed to a world going dark. A bright individual and a fantastic interview. Oh, you modern-day Tom Sawyers, your mind not for rent to any god or government. My dad said the two-party system works. Well, Ernie, that's because your dad is a whore for the establishment. Allow me to quote from Robert Price's The Pre-Nicene New Testament for further context on Mary and Sophia, so you can understand if the original angel or original archon moves within you. Here it is. The ending of the Gospel of John seems to preserve a story which assumed that Mary alone saw Jesus before his ascension. Jesus tells her not to tell Peter and company to meet him, but merely to tell them goodbye for him. This is our major clue, for here we see a step along a trajectory we can follow through various Gnostic texts in the 2nd and 3rd centuries, including the Pista Sophia, the Dialogue of the Savior, the Little Questions of Mary, the great questions of Mary, the gospel of Mary, the gospel of Philip and others. Here we seem to find in full flower what is carefully omitted from the more familiar gospel text, Mary's role as the greatest of the apostles, 
the, quote, woman who understood the all, as the dialogue of the Savior states, the one who had full gnosis. It is Mary who claims special resurrection revelations, surpassing those of the male disciples. Yea, yea, so you say. But one who sits amongst us has already betrayed me this night. Who? 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 Who can it be? Judas! Hmm. Do you want a beverage? Try the mulled wine. It's terrific. No! Leave us alone! Mary's a symbolic figurehead for Gnostic and other sects who claimed her as their authorization. She clearly has taken the place of the divine consort who resurrects the dying God in various salvation myths. The Christian version of Cybele, Isis, Ishtar, and Nath. Meteorites are the bedrock of all religions. You know the statue of the goddess that's worshipped by the Romans at the Vatican? That statue was carved from the same black arily as the Kaaba Muslims face when they kneel in prayer. <laughs> How do you know all this crazy shit, Ezra? I Google. But she may also represent an early historic apostolic figure. In any case, we must take her as standing for a wing of early Christianity that was so important that even its enemies could not simply omit her from their own Gospels, though they were happy enough to denounce her as a demoniac and a whore and a hysterical female. Okay, we need to divide and conquer. Yes, Mary and other Gnostic figures like Thomas and Simon Magus were crushed out of sight in the Bible and Western religion itself. Now we are finding these diamonds for our wholeness and the very liberation of the cosmos itself. When the truth offends, we, we lie and lie until we can no longer remember it is even there, but it is still there. Every lie we tell incurs a debt to the truth. Sooner or later, that debt is paid. Interesting that according to Irenaeus, to become a full-fledged Valentinian, it took five years of initiation, all secret. Irenaeus said that, quote, people spent all they possess to learn about the tears of Sophia. I hope I have served you in taking less than five years to learn and experience the tears of Sophia and not spending all your dough while uncovering more of the crushed past. That this will disclose your authentic self and the means to thrive in this terra damnata, as Cormac McCarthy called our planet. This playground of archons and alien mind parasites and robots named Pandora. I choose to run toward my problems and not away from them. That's what that's what heroes do. As April DeConnick wrote in The Gnostic New Age, The Gnostic is an elusive figure, escaping our borders, pushing our limits, reshaping us with every act of transgression. Why does the Gnostic at once intrigue and terrify? 
What is it about the Gnostic that opens us up to a deviant so subversive that it reverses and redefines whatever it contacts? What is it about the Gnostic that constructs new worlds whose brilliance exposes the pallor of our existence? What is it about the Gnostic that fuels the courage to create something better than what tradition has left us? What is it about the Gnostic that pulls knowledge in only to generate new knowledge so overwhelming in its experience that the depths of humanity are thought to be penetrated and healed? No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Please don't forget I'm offering voiceover services. If you need any audiobook or any type of narration, to supercharge your projects. Already did John Michael Greer's The King in Orange and several internet commercials this year. Contact me through the God Above God Dad Cam for more. And consider joining the Finding Hermes program too. We recently did a personal, exclusive presentation on, yes, the Gnostic Mary Magdalene, as well as sex magical rites in Gnosticism that focus on the wild aspects of Sophia, including Pronicus and Akama. It's all fun and games until someone loses a third eye, and then it's just Gnosis. Led us to our interview with Amanda Radcliffe. It's not really a measure of mental health to be well-adjusted in a society that's very sick. You're right. This dimension is crumbling to violence and pettiness and greed, and Steve is sensitive enough to feel it, and he's angry. He's angry and he's lost. And in order to find him, you'd have to teach yourself again, and you decided somewhere along the way that you were done learning. It's, it's too painful to stay open. Well, I think we all face the same hopelessness, Mrs. Winchell. It's what we decide to do with it. You're right. So what are you gonna do? If you wanna do your job, expel the bully. Focus on the kid who sings like an angel even though he doesn't need you. If you wanna be a teacher, teach Steve. He's the boy you can help become a man. He's the one you lost. He's your first reason. I didn't catch your first name, Mrs. Winchell. I'm the OA. This is the Aeon Pied interview. And with us, we have the pleasure of being joined by Amanda Mariam Radcliffe. Amanda, how are you? And thank you for coming on the show. I'm very well, thank you. And very happy to be here. Glad to have you as we share, obviously, a lot of the same interests and speculations and uh, definitely a journey. And somebody who is also shares all of this is the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? I'm fine this morning. Looking forward to a great catharsis 
of all my misconceptions about the Cathars. <laughs> I think you, yes, you will be a little bit closer, I feel. Um, well, Amanda, tell us about your background, uh, your origin story, if you would. Uh, you were, how, what were you raised at, and how did you enter into these esoteric arenas? Well, my family has been involved in Freemasonry for many generations, and my father was um, a grandmaster in a lodge, uh, my grandfather also. And he was a spiritualist, and still is. And my mum, she comes from six generations of clairvoyance um, from Wales on her side. And so growing up, I was always around esoteric subjects and people. um, And also, of course, having my own mystical experiences since I was a child. I had a near-death experience when I was six and almost drowned. And I think that com- that combined with the the um, family family history of clairvoyance just switched on my abilities even more so. Um, but I tried, like a lot of you know, a lot of people like us do, to pretend that it wasn't happening, even though I was raised in a very open-minded and encouraging home for these particular subjects. Um, I didn't really like being clairvoyant. <laughs> I don't know about you whether you have had similar experiences because you said you've had visions and things too um, but certainly a lot of people that I speak to who have these abilities when they're very young don't really know what to do with them and I was raised as a Christian and um, went to a very religious school um, where again the the kind of church that I went to um, which is the Church of England, did not fulfill the um, mystical role that I would have expected from my own personal experiences. Um, I think I said before in another interview that the experiences that I had when I was a child were very much about the presence of the feminine divine, um, which was certainly not mentioned in the Bible. And in the Church of England, there isn't really a great role for the Great Mother there isn't really a role for Mary even. And where I grew up, um, there is a large Irish community. Um, Part of my family on the other side are are from Ireland. And within the Irish community, um, the Catholics and the Protestants are not supposed to get along. (laughs) And so that was was also an influence um, in that I was raised in the Church Church of England stroke Protestant. But my close friends were Catholic, and I used to hear them praying to St. Anthony whenever they lost their keys or something. And I was really jealous. So I was like, how come they've got these saints they can pray to, and I don't? And I felt like something was missing. Um, and so when I was 12, I started sneaking off to the Catholic Church, which, of course, like I say, was very controversial given where I where I grew up. Um, but I, there I found the presence of Mary, which, again, um, was not a presence that, that one would assume was necessarily Catholic. But when my friend taught me the Hail Mary, I'd go and sneak off and pray to Mary in, in the church and start praying to St. Anthony, for example. And um, this was my way as a young person of 
um, I suppose, correlating the the instincts and the feelings and the experiences that I had with an outer church, so to speak. Um, and so later on, I rejected the church like many of us do when I was a teenager because I, I discovered the hypocrisy um, that was happening. We know now more about that hypocrisy because mm, it's all over the news. Yeah. Um, and I was not happy about the idea of no sex before marriage. I was not happy at the idea of this punitive God, which again did not fulfill the experiences that I had. This did not correlate with the experiences that I had. I couldn't conceive of this punitive God that's mentioned in the Bible. It just did not feel right to me. Um, and the idea that we could be punished for something like our sexuality or for our psychic abilities, you know, never suffer a witch to live, for example. All of these things just came to a head within me and I, I quit the church. And I quit despite having very many mystical experiences within Christianity. Um, and like many people, I went on to a journey of, of trying to find my spiritual independence and a system that would work for me. Um, and I have to say, I, I really experimented with a lot of different systems and paths and people. And I never felt anything really, again, um, represented or, or correlated the experiences that I'd had. So I was very disappointed. Um, and so I focused mostly on developing my clairvoyance and mediumship and then studying transpersonal psychology and consciousness research. And then in between, I, I met a woman who was a medium and she introduced me to Celtic Christianity. She took me to some of the sacred sites of Wales and I was still in my 20s at that point. And as soon as I went into this beautiful ancient chapel in the center of the Black Mountains in Wales, I was transformed. Um, I felt suffused with this, again, this presence of this divine feminine in, in this very, very remote place, this ancient 8th century chapel. And the chapel was dedicated to a saint called St. Melinga, who was a, a female saint. And suddenly I had this understanding of the role of women in early Christianity, which came as a agnostic um, revelation, in a sense, through being there and being in the place where she lived and practiced. I had a... I hesitate to use the word download because, you know, but <laughs> I, I had this kind of download is the only way I can really describe it or this instantaneous knowing of what her life was like and how women were excluded from early Christianity and yet they were, sorry, later Christianity and yet they were part of early Christianity. And I, I felt this great resonance with this woman and the story of St. Malanga, she was a healer, first of all, which is something I also do and, and relate to. Um, and I felt very strongly that something was missing in what I had been taught about Christianity, that there was a, a secret side to it, which 
was very magical and which was um, being hidden and being kept separate from um, what we know as conventional Christianity today. And so at that time in my 20s, I didn't know about Gnosticism at all. But that started me on the journey. And then many years later, um, having, having, well, I, I think I can, I can tell you this here. Um, but yeah, having had the dreams that I think you know about, um, I found myself being drawn into um, the study of psychic and spiritual abilities which pass through particular family lines and lineages. Um, bloodlines, so to speak. We know this is a controversial topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and through this study, I became, I linked with people that shared similar genealogy to myself. And that was how I became invited to go to Paris and become initiated into a um, secret Christian initiatory order that was only available for people who were part of particular bloodlines. Um, I've been assessed quite rigorously, including clairvoyantly, and and I was invited, and I was living in Paris already at the time. So I didn't really take it too seriously, actually, because you know how it is with these things. You never know until you actually know. become part of something. Yeah. Um, and so I... Be- I became invited to join this order. I went with no expectations whatsoever, um, partly thinking, you know, this might just be yet another new age, um, syncretic, imaginary order that someone <laughs> has dreamed up. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty <laughs> that of those. No, <laughs> yeah, that will have no real spiritual power or um, transcendental function. But when I went through the initiation I had an extremely profound experience um, probably one of the most profound spiritual experiences of my life up until that, that point um, and it changed me and I realized this was real and through the, that connection um, with that particular person I was then later on two years later invited to become part of the Gnostic Church in France and as soon as I discovered the Gnostic Church I had found everything that I had been looking for since I was a child within the Christian current wow what an incredible story I love it and uh and now you are in Cathar country not in Paris that's right. Yes, that's another strange story of how, <laughs> how I came to be here. Well, before we get into that, yeah, I love how you were you're born into, well, mystic arenas, uh, and you've been led all through your life to this. Uh, my life is sort of like that, but it's more like I listen to my intuition, I listen to the gods. Then I get stubborn and my ego takes over, so I trip, 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 and then I go back and listen. It's sort of a a stalling thing. But what advice would you have for people 
to follow their journey to where because every all of us have a mission and need to be somewhere for some duty some higher purpose uh, what advice do you have for people i'm sure you must agree that everybody is really clairvoyant or psychic in some way um i actually don't agree with that mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm going to be controversial and oh, say no, no, there I is, in this show there is no controversy <laughs> <laughs> Just heresy, um, uh, Amanda, see... just heresy. <laughs> okay, well, I'm in the right place then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think everyone has intuition, for sure, and I think the natural intuition that we have can be developed. Then when I look at people like Richard Dawkins, who's had his brain tested by Persinger, he was found <laughs> not to have the ability to have the God experience. So I yeah, believe that there are some people who him, are yeah. literally... Yeah, and I think when some people are not born with the equipment. So they're just like Hylix, as the Valentinians would call them. They've chosen the world of matter. I didn't want to say that, but I'm glad that you did. <laughs> oh, that's very controversial in Gnostic circles. Trust me, we don't want to. Sometimes when I say, I will like quote Gurdjieff and say, you know, Gurdjieff said immortality has to be earned. We're not all immortal. Some of us can choose to you know, not go through the cycles and Gnostic priests have gotten mad at me or people in the Gnostic community. I'm like, well, we got to leave that open, right? Everything's possible. Absolutely. Well, I think you'll find as you get to know me, I'm not very PC. (laughs) Oh, So, um, (laughs) yeah, I think it's important to discuss these things. And of course, I've come across this what you're talking about and I am teasing really but um, all I can say is that that I do believe that we can train our intuition and everyone has an intuition but I don't know if everyone is necessarily clairvoyant Um, like I say Richard Dawkins having been experimented upon could not even reach that that state (laughs) which leads me to because I studied consciousness research as well um, I'm very interested in how these things impact the brain and, you know, the seat of consciousness, where it comes from, why some of us have these experiences and why other people people don't. And also I'm very interested in why people in the world at large throughout history have persecuted people with these abilities. If they had those abilities themselves, then why would they want to persecute those that had them? Yeah, control, I fear. suppose. Yeah, and also fear. Mm-hmm, definitely fear. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking specifically here about the Cathars because um, one of the things that I have learned about the Cathars is to be become a high initiate within the Cathar faith, one had to demonstrate certain abilities. And I believe it was this way in early Christianity also. Even in some parts of France now, um, in, in the countryside, to, to be known as a, a wise person, a sage femme um, in France, one has to demonstrate the ability to heal burns or to be able to cure warts or to be able to heal cattle or, you know, everyone has their speciality. Um, yeah. 
But again, for advice, what do you usually tell people? I think you're saying uh, nurture your intuition, learn to listen to it, because it, I'm sure you were wondering at times, yeah. is this the right decision or am I delusional? And I have those too. I mean, when is it? Uh, because the mind is a trickster and Hermes is a trickster. And, you know, as you probably agree, Sophia and Jesus are big tricksters sometimes. Their lessons are not yes, easy. Yes, I... <laughs> <laughs> I agree completely. And I also want to say that I relate very much to your story about having these intuitions or receiving this guidance and then the ego kicking in and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I, I have control over my life. I'm in control here. Yes, um, you're not. <laughs> it, yeah. And I think for those of us who have chosen this path, and I say chosen because I believe we chose it before we came here in this incarnation. Um, for those of us who've chosen this path or being kicked onto it, kicking and screaming, um, we, we have no choice in a way. What I've discovered in my own life, which I think will apply to others too, is when we resist where we're being guided to be, there's an increase in suffering. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Did you find that in your own experience? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it, it is. The, the, if I don't, even if we get young in and I don't listen to my psyche, I don't face my shadows, uh, what happens is my ego is going to suffer and then there'll be manifestation. Mm -hmm. Like you, like we're talking about depression, alcoholism, bad relationships, or getting completely lost in the material world of uh, phones and paychecks and all that soulless stuff. So, yeah, I think uh, it's an easy choice when it comes down to it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I do believe that that is part of the way in which the arconic forces operate to keep people from trusting that intuition, trusting that spiritual sense of themselves and their destiny. Um, I think it takes a great deal of, of courage and self-awareness like you were saying, self-reflection, um, becoming aware of where we can be tripped up as well, of where our energy and our and attention can be diverted. Um, my advice, I think, in my own case, the way it happened for me was that I, I was kind of given no other choice but to follow the path that laid out before me. However, I could have followed it sooner and saved myself suffering if I had listened and been willing to follow before I actually did. However, I also believe that everything unfolded as it was supposed to because it was the right time. Mm -hmm. And I think that other people who want to develop their intuition and who want to connect in with their, their divinity and with the greater divinity. Um, I think fear is probably the greatest limitation that we have. I know it was in my own case because some of the things I've been asked to do seemed completely crazy <laughs> at the time. <laughs> so there was a great deal of fear about Am I, you know, who's guiding me here? That was one of the things I used to think. Who's guiding me? How do I know I'm being given guidance from a good spirit here? 
Um, how do I know I'm, yeah, I'm not being tricked, you know, like you say about the tricksters. Um, how do I know that this is going to have a good end? Um, and I didn't. And this is what I've learned about the true meaning of a mystery school. In a mystery school, we don't know what to expect. That's the whole point. And I believe that when, <laughs> when we enter onto this path, Miguel, that we're on, it unfolds as we walk it. I think that's well said. I think the journey really is to get to know ourselves and our higher selves. So well said. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Amanda, uh, Gnosticism obviously offers a gateway into the forgotten divine feminine with its uh, ideas of Barbalo and Sophia and the Predanoia, but also with uh, mm -hmm. some uh, the female leaders like uh, Helen of Tyre, Mary Magdalene, uh, Marcelina. I mean, it was a movement that even today was extremely... Uh, might say egalitarian and the Cathars of course had really no distinction between men and women. So that's, mm -hmm. it's an amazing, even for today's religion, the Gnostics were way ahead of their times. I mean, uh, and so, but also what else, uh, as we've talked, what else did you like about Gnosticism? I think one of the reasons I like Gnosticism is it really focused on the idea of suffering and evil and was not going to let it go. I mean, it's like, it says you have to look at the darkness of the world at all times. Unlike I felt other religions, which kind of said, oh, we'll just back off and everything's going to work out and trust the plan and all that. <laughs> yeah, I loved it when you said that um, to me in our previous conversation, because I agree. Um, I, I do feel that this path of compassion and this bravery to face the darkness, to accept that it's there to recognize that it can rise up and attack at any moment if we are not vigilant and careful and to also see that there is a kind of ab reaction um in the cathar in the cathar faith we call it um rex mundi i'm sure you've heard of this the king of the world oh, yeah. and the the idea is that once we um, reach a certain level of, I don't really want to say spiritual attainment because that makes it sound like an elitist um, thing, but connectedness. Um, and once we start to be able to connect more consistently with these higher echelons of, of the emanations, um, the ad reaction of that is the attack which often follows. And I, I do believe that, you know, traditional, often many traditional religions, like we're speaking about, would attribute that to demons or something fearful, um, when in fact it's simply how the, I know you talk about the, the matrix, the, <laughs> the matrix or the, the um, uh, fabric of reality is constructed in such a way that when we venture outside of this consensus reality we leave a rip or a ripple in the fabric and then the forces that maintain the fabric in in terms of the illusion of this reality react in a very powerful way to repair that fabric and to make it so we can't poke our heads above the firmament 
So I think that, that this is what we have to, as Gnostics and as spiritual seekers, we have to be aware of this. And I think this is where knowing that we don't need to do this alone is very helpful. It's why it's important to meet other people like yourself. It's why it's important for us to work with others. And it's why it's important for me, at least, to call upon the divine and these higher forces to aid us when we make these journeys to make sure that we're not doing it alone. Because it can be dangerous, as I'm sure you know. Yeah, well said. And uh, at the very least, the Archons want to keep the status quo, just like uh, as above, so below, just as their servants here in the world governments, bureaucracies, schools. It's let's just put our heads down and keep everything going average. No, no independent thinking, no rocking the boat, no expanding our consciousness. So it's uh, it's the way of yeah. the universe at the very least. <laughs> it is and when you sense into it intuitively as I'm sure you have you can see it, this is kind of where the idea of the blind watchmaker comes in because it, it replicates itself blindly there is no kind of higher consciousness to it it's simply materialistic consciousness replicating itself um, blindly do you ever have that feeling Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, I don't know, lack of better words, the Borg or something like that. The Borg, I like that. Yeah, and I I think, unfortunately, I'm sure you're feeling this too and your your listeners. Um, We are experiencing an amplification of this at the moment with what's happening around the world. Yeah, I mean... uh... Mass media and the internet was supposed to set us free, and then they twisted it around to control us even more. So, but it's not surprising. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's history. It's the archons just find new ways or amplify the old ways. And um, I was thinking yesterday, Amanda was uh, thinking about you talk about yeah the the Rex Mundi, the king of the world, is really the Cathars replaced the Demiurge with Satan as, as their Demiurge, Yaldabaoth with uh, Satan. And in mm-hmm. the story, it's very much the traditional medieval uh, story where one third of the angels rebel against heaven. And then the, the higher God kicks out Satan and his angels, but scholars aren't sure if uh, then Satan creates matter or he discovers matter and I always have this thing in my head where Satan and his angels are sort of uh, crossing the void, all angry and butt hurt, and suddenly they run into <laughs> some they run into something, and the angels are like, "What is this?" And Satan goes, "I don't know. It's like putty. We can shape it. I shall call this matter." And then they create the material world, and here we are. So it's just kind of a a funny skit with Satan that that i had but uh it's interesting how they they well they just they just had to switch they were just following the mythology of their times the cathars yeah and i really like that analogy it's a funny one that you came up with <laughs> yeah monty python might have done it or john cleese yeah. playing satan <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, it's interesting about the, the, the Cathars. Well, before I get uh, so we can start talking about the Cathars, uh, Vance, what do you think, or do you have a question, or do you have a uh, early question about the Cathars? Because I know you've been interested in, in them in the past, and uh, yeah. it's not easy to understand. I always have to refresh myself on their history a lot. Yeah, for some reason, that particular set of beliefs um, is easily understandable for me. I think one one of the thoughts that I wanted to share was, I think that any kind of universe with individual beings in it, um, and in which those individual beings have some sort of persistent constructs where they can build things, and it doesn't have to be what we call matter. It could be, you know, anything. Say a, a mind that can create um, uh, persistent objects that work according to certain laws. I think a realm like that can fall prey to the same problems we see in the material world. And uh, in other words, it's basically parallel to a material world. They they would call it material. And the problem is when we turn spiritual beings into material things the way we do with our modern societies that have to treat everybody like cattle and they have to control them that's why the icons want to control us they want us to be part of a big machine you know and uh and and anybody that's individualistic is a problem to manage so if you can brainwash them and dumb them down and get them plugged into some sort of you know cosmic network of of control then you can have nice little behave. So that's my thought. And Amanda, I was wondering, um, of all the different Gnostic types of beliefs, what led you into um, the Cathars? What led you to them? Well, I heard about the Cathars when I was at university, when I was about 22. Um, And I found a book by a man called Arthur Gurdon in the college bookstore. It was called, what was it called? <laughs> I can't remember now. I think it was called Paradise Found, Reflections on Psychic Survival. And I, I read that book, and obviously being clairvoyant and trying not to be at that time, I was curious <laughs> by the title. And in the book, he, he, it was kind of a, an autobiography, straight biography that he'd written about his own experiences. And he was a doctor in in Oxford in England at first and he was an atheist he was educated at Oxford um, and he became a psychiatrist and then he discovered when he was working as a psychiatrist in the 1950s in you know, middle class, middle England a number of women in the hospital started to spontaneously draw Cathar crosses and started to wake up writing things down in old French and started to talk about this um, reality not being real um, and started to basically write down and talk about things that that were Cathar beliefs. Um, And poor Arthur Gurdon, being a doctor and being an atheist, did not know what to make of all of this in the 1950s stroke 60s. And he followed it scientifically as as a doctor would. And he documented everything that these women were saying and started to put all the pieces together. And he was led on a journey, rather like myself in a way, 
where different people came into his life and brought different pieces of information. And it led him to believe that these women were genuinely psychic. And the reason that they were in the hospital was because they were not believed and they didn't know how to manage their abilities. And so they became neurotic in a society which at that time didn't have the openness that we have today. Um, and so these women were hospitalized and he, he very much believed as time went on through his own studies and his journeys to France because he, at the time, there wasn't any real information about the Cathars available in England and in English. So he ended up going over to France and going to different university libraries, meeting with different doctors and uh, professors and people who knew about the ancient history of the Cathars. And he showed them what these women were writing and drawing and they confirmed that the dates, the names and the symbols and everything else were all true. Oh. Yeah. And so this really made an impression on me in my trying to be not psychic period of life <laughs> and made me realize, okay, so, you know, here's a doctor who didn't believe in any of this. And these women were like in hospital because people thought they were mentally ill and yet they were extremely gifted in this way. And Arthur Gurdon then, then put it all together and wrote this book about it. Um, and one of the things that he talked about in that book is the idea that Christianity was a feminine religion and that Christ um, was kind of a, a androgynous spirit. You know, but he was what he called the enlightened aspect of masculinity. Um, which was balanced between masculine and femininity. Um, and he also wrote about how Christianity in the beginning was um, very much a woman's religion, how it was funded by women in the beginning. And, you know, he talked about, of course, Mary Magdalene, but other women in the early church too. And I just, yeah, I just read that book and it stayed with me. But like I said, I was not wanting to go down that path at all. Um, I was trying to be normal. And, <laughs> and then it took many years, it took many years later um, for me to just find myself being drawn down that path anyway. Um, I, it returned, it returned to me and it returned even more powerfully, as, as I'll, I'll tell you later on. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great story. Absolutely. Arthur Gerdon's a fascinating person. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was, um, I pulled up his Wikipedia and yes, he's got a lot of books. I think you're reading Paradise Found, Reflections on Psychic Survival, but a lot of books on the Cathars, the Cathars and Reincarnation, the Gibbet and the Cross. So yeah, haven't heard of him, but this, uh, what a remarkable individual. Nice rabbit hole. I want to go down. <laughs> oh, you'll love it. <laughs> I yeah, and it's interesting. Oh, and uh, Colin Wilson was his friend. Even better. Wow, what a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to say it's interesting that um, the Cathars brought all a lot of basic Gnostic elements that were true of the ancient uh, Gnostics. 
and 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 um, that material had been lost for a long time. So it makes you kind of draw the conclusion there's something underlying all of it, not in the material world, in, in the spiritual world that comes out, it flourishes every once uh, you know in a while. Yeah, I guess that's kind of a little clairvoyance. That was kind of my next question. Uh, do you think uh, from your studies, Amanda, or your revelations, do you see the Cathars as a historical continuation, maybe from Manichaeans or the Bogomils, or what do you? What, how do you think the Cathars became the Cathars, even though they weren't the Cathars because they didn't call themselves the Cathars? But what is your take? <laughs> well, that's an interesting topic, and um yeah my kind of understanding of the cathars has come about through living in their homeland and through being in the spaces where they lived breathed practiced prayed um historically there are so many different theories aren't there as we know i mean the 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 bogomils and the, the manichaeans um I do believe there are similarities, yeah. And interestingly, the the as you know, the name Qatar um, was not necessarily used by the Qatar themselves. They were known as the good men and good women, um, but they did use the word perfecti in their in their lexicon of how they described um, the people who had reached the ordination or consecration status. Um, in terms of the history, I have to say that I don't really have a fixed view on on where they came from and where they evolved from because for me there is a sense that um, I feel they were they were um, continuing on an ancient stream which perhaps had no name. Um, but which came from the original Gnostic Christian streams of early, the early, very, very early primitive church. That's my sense. And I feel like that stream passed through different locations and gathered the flavor of each particular culture that it passed through. Um, so in other words, I see them as having an expression of the original Gnostic current which was around at the time of Christ, but which also predates Christ, as we know. Oh, yeah. I feel they're very much continuing on something very, very ancient. That's my sense. Yeah, I, I would agree. The, the, they're preserving the ancient gnosis of either Cybele or Ashir or some other primordial alien goddess. Um, which of course had to be stamped out because of the thing of, because this thing called civilization, proper civilization going to left brain with our collective consciousness. I think we all, all three of us know this story, but <laughs> at the same time, I always thought there must have been something in the air, Amanda, because, uh, again, we've talked about this. We're talking 12th, 13th century in the Iberian mm -hmm. pen Peninsula, southern France. There was an explosion of really Gnostic esoteric ideas. I mean, in the south of France, you had the Cathars, but you also had the rise of the troubadours. And as some have said, the troubadours and the Cathars were one and the same. You had huge cult of Mary Magdalene all over southern France. She was, she was the rock star 
of those of that era and then in spain and also in france you had uh, kabbalah exploding too but it was very gnostic leaning kabbalah where samuel is the demiurge and we're in a fight against darkness and light and we all have to be magicians and travel the dimensions and I was like, what an incredible place, and I always wonder what it could be. I, I think it might be portals, but even then, something else might have been in the air, because if you look at history around the 12th and 13th century, you see Sufism, the assassins, uh, the, the Druze, uh, this sort of, again, Gnostic Islam rising in Persia and the Middle East. So, uh, I don't know. And, of course, you've got the Knights Templar around there. So, do you th ever think, what was going on there? I think about it all the time. <laughs> it was a renaissance of the soul or something, or the spirit. That is a really beautiful way of expressing it. Yes, that is exactly how it was. And um, I, I could not agree more with what you said or express it any, any more beautifully. A renaissance of the soul is absolutely what was happening. And I think, um, as Lance said earlier, this was an expression of what was happening in that pattern behind the material expression um i think there was an, an uprising or upsurging of um this, this spiritual power and this increase in consciousness in that region which well i remember as i've said to you miguel right. i remember so um yeah and that is why it, it's so um, painful for those of us who do remember and who have been called back into this line of work um, because we remember the the kind of golden age which was being experienced by so many at that time and which was so brutally ended. Um, as to why, I, I really don't know. I think it was an organic, um, spiritual... Um, infusion of of higher energies higher forces but i i think that that the reason it was able to flourish and did so powerfully in the iberian peninsula was because of the geomagnetic forces within the land and the the presence of the pyrenees mountains the iron mountains um <clears throat> and the presence of the beings that 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 exist in those mountains. Yeah, I think I agree because I know there are portals there. Patrice Chaplin has written about it and others. And, and maybe you're right. Maybe if you have a decentralized, relaxed kind of culture like they had in those days, these ideas mm -hmm. are going to start spreading. It's a natural inclination of humanity to better itself. And the question is, how did it happen? But the question is, when it when it happens, which will, you know orthodoxy is going to crush it. That's why you had the Inquisition, which was started against the Cathars and then moved towards Jews and women. And then in the Middle East, you had the Mongol invasion and all that. It's like the Demiurge is like, uh-oh, they're waking up too soon. Time to bring down the hammer. <laughs> Absolutely. This is how it was. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, it was a time. very, very special time. And you mentioned the troubadours and uh, in the south of France, the troubadours were very powerfully involved in um, one of the Cathar, 
castles, Quiva. They they had an initiation center in Quiva where they took chevaliers through the four different stages of training to be a real knight. But a knight is the heart, not the knight with the, with a sword necessarily. Um, yeah, and women were very respected in the, in the region at that time and had a lot of power, temporal and spiritual. The Cathars gave a lot of power to women. Um, as you know, Escamon de Foix was the person who was responsible for making Montfigur into the spiritual citadel of the Cathars and their final, their final hiding place. But there were many, many different women involved in the Cathar story. And she was the, you know, people call her the high priestess of the Cathars, but she was much more than that. And these were noble women who were very well educated. And um, there was a lady called Geralda de Lorac, and she is a big part of the Cathar story. And she was known to have Kabbalists going to her castle and to be very well read, to be, there, there was a very beautiful harmony whereby people understood that religion and spirituality is what drew people together and not what pushed people apart. It was an extremely tolerant culture. It was a very rich culture too. Um, they produced a lot of wine, you know, they grew a lot of um a lot of different materials for weaving and things like that. It was a very wealthy culture. And one thing I have to say about the crusade against the Cathars is it was also like with the Templars because they were becoming, well, not necessarily the Cathars, but the noble families who supported them were becoming too rich. And so again, these kind of, these powers wanted to control not only the, the minds of the people and, and the spirits of the people, but they wanted to, the Catholic Church wanted to take the, the money and the resources and the castles. And, but fundamentally, unfortunately, the attack against the Cathars was a genocide. Because they took those castles and most of the time they just destroyed the castles and didn't even use them. They just wanted them gone. Yeah, isn't the famous saying, uh, who said it? Uh, kill them all and let God sort them out, or God will know his own? Yeah. Who, who <laughs> you literally who just read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you literally read my mind in that moment. This is what I was about to say, the terrible massacre at Bezier, where 20,000 people were killed, including Catholics. And they put them in a church on on July 22nd, Mary Magdalene's feast day. They locked them in a church dedicated to Mary Magdalene. And I think it was the local bishop who said that awful thing. Kill them all. God will know his own. Yeah. It was God talking. That was a human sacrifice to the, to Satan or the Demiurge when you think about it. Yeah. There were children in there too. Uh, they set them all on fire. It was a terrible massacre. So many people died and. You know, the, the trauma is still there in the people in the region, even though they don't speak about it now. I was told when I moved to Montsegur that no one lived in Montsegur for 200 years after the tragedy that happened there. Wow. They were too scared. And the Catholic Church anathematized Montsegur every single year up until, I think, 1965. So they cursed 
the mountain every single year up until very recently. Wow. Yeah, they do not like anything Gnostic. Never have. No, likewise with the Templars, as you say, how they were persecuted and accused of crimes they didn't commit and how their riches were stolen from them. There's an old book in French that I have read um, about the history of the Cathars and one of the um, shocking discoveries that I made in that book was a priest at the time had documented the crusade and one of the things that he took great pleasure in documenting was how much gold, wine and other um, loot that they Uh. took from the noble families that supported the Cathars who they killed. Horrible. I guess they had yeah. a waiver on the Ten Commandments. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was you know, How do they do that? This has bothered me for years. <laughs> well, you always well, said, Vance, what got you into Gnosticism was just reading the Bible. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's very easy. Absolutely. Is this so? Huh. It's right there. Yeah, you read the Bible and you realize the demon is controlling it. It's making yeah. all the rules. <laughs> in the book of Job, you know, where they're hobnobbing, you know, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, it's going down to the earth, looking, going up and down, you know, that, that, that part. <laughs> then they make a bar bet, you know, great. This is, you know, definitely not my idea of the good God. No. The way they did actually get around this commandment in the Bible was because they said that they would be especially dispensated um, that they would receive absolution from the priests for all of the crimes they committed. That's the terrible thing, you know, having this idea that a priest can forgive all of your sins, therefore you can sin. And especially if the, the priest himself is corrupt or involved in a corrupted system, which they were, then the knights of the crusade were encouraged to murder, kill, maim, all of these things, just like in the witch trials with the Inquisitors. Um, and with the Inquisitors during the Crusades, of course, they, they are given a special dispensation, but that has come from the perverted mind of man. That has not come from God. And the the uh, one of the main issues with the Cathars um, and the, the fall of Monsignor there was a story whereby the, the noble um, families who were known as the Faders, who protected the Cathars, they, um, nine of their most noble knights decided that they were going to, after the murder of Gerald de Lorac, which I, I started talking about in 1209, she was horribly murdered and she was the chatelaine of the Chateau of Lorac. And a very well-respected, well-educated, tolerant woman. And she had a beautiful place where she had the troubadours and she had Kabbalists and she had all different people from different faiths, including Arabic people, Arabic doctors, um, were brought together here in, in her chateau. And she was terribly murdered by the Inquisitors. They threw her to the dogs of war who raped her in front of all of her people and then they threw her down a well and um, killed her over three days by throwing rocks onto her Ugh. and they hung, they hung 80 of her knights 
and they hung so many men that the rafters broke. And to hang a noble person is a great um, humiliation because in the laws of chivalry, uh, a, a knight, a noble person is only ever meant to die by the sword, never to be hung like a criminal. And of course, the people who did this knew so what their aim was to humiliate and um, terrify the people involved in all of this and terrify the community so they they would immediately convert because they were too scared. And again, you know, this makes me think this this idea of the demiurge um, of Satan infiltrating even the most beautiful spirituality, like infiltrating Christianity in the beginning, well, you know, as it became. But um, this, what I'm trying to reach is the the uh, the nine men who went to they decided they were going to avenge Geralda's death and they killed, I think it was seven inquisitors. They um, pounced on them when they were sleeping in a, a friend's house. So they, they set the inquisitors up and then they went and killed them to take revenge for what they did to Geralda and her people. And unfortunately, this act, which took place in a, a location called Avignonet, led directly to the fall of Montague. Because the the um, that act of revenge led to the siege of Montsegur, and the people who are still involved in the story now, um, I've met several uh, who remember this and who believe that we now have to make amends. We can't continue the cycle of revenge because a lot of people who get involved with the Cathar story and who remember who were there. Um, like I was, they are so angry about what happened and they still want to make reparation and they still want revenge or they still want some kind of compensation. And yet this is not what the Cathars wanted. It's not what the Cathar spirituality believed in or taught. We are at the end. So first I would like to say, Van Sachi, thanks for keeping us company on this uh, really wonderful chat. Oh, I think this is a great show. And Amanda, I love uh, everything you've told us and I'm very impressed. So keep up the good work. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm a little nervous because I talk about too many weird, controversial things. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is, is the, the place. place. Yeah, this is the place. We do it every week. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that reassures me. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. Thank this you. is what the audience really enjoys, uh, all this Gnosticism. They can't get enough of it, and that's why we're here. But, uh, yeah, Amanda, really appreciate you coming on Aeon Byte, and we certainly look forward to the next time we can chat, and good luck with everything. Thank you so much. It's been a, a delight to connect with both of you and to be able to share these things. Thank you. And there you have it, my beloved truth seekers. The first part of our interview with Amanda Radcliffe. There's just something about Mary, and there will be more. In our second part, Amanda discusses whether the Cathars embraced Gnosis or fell into the prevalent Christian idea of faith. We'll cover Cathar rituals and culture, like the consolamentum and vegetarianism. I mean, how exactly was the Cathar church structured? 
Amanda will share with us her own church and rituals down in southern France. She'll talk about the Gnostic revival of the 19th century with Jules, Doniel, and so forth, and then speculate on the legends of Jesus and Mary being married. And she'll reward us with her experience as being the occult advisor on the recent Lovecraft film, Color Out of Space. And yes, there was a clip from the movie in the intro, from Tommy Chong of all people, if you noticed. So become an AB Prime member of Patreon at Patreon for the full Holy Grail. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle, or whatever you want to pledge on Patreon. You won't find this Gnostic and Hermetic content or many of our guests anywhere in cyberspace or even meat space. When you subscribe, it will cost you about a buck per episode, and that's a deal of many lifetimes. Membership includes full access to more than 14 years of quality interviews. It includes an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group and the Discord channel where many past guests hang out there and I'm always there to answer your questions. Even support in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or the US mail really, really helps. I also have the merch store and an Amazon wish list as I always need equipment in this universe of entropy. Lastly, I am now on Odyssey and Rockfin, moving away from larger digital domains and going to places that don't censor and offer crypto. Check me out there. And stop being crushed by the world. You are already a shining crazy diamond. And you can already do so many wonders. I just know it. I just know it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself. Your true self. Here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye as always. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.